Thank you, Krista, for that ministry and music. This, of course, is July 4th, also known as Independence Day. It's a day in which we celebrate our freedom from Great Britain. During the American Revolution, the legal separation of the 13 colonies from Great Britain actually occurred on July 2nd, 1776, when the Second Continental Congress voted to approve a resolution of independence that had been proposed in June by Richard Henry Lee of Virginia. After voting for independence, Congress turned its attention to the Declaration of Independence, a statement explaining this decision, which had been prepared by a committee of five with Thomas Jefferson as its principal author. Congress debated and revised the Declaration, finally approving it on July the 4th. On July the 3rd, John Adams wrote his wife, Abigail, and said these words, quote, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. Well, uh, much of what John Adams has visualized has come to pass, except it's July 4th, not July 2nd. We uh, celebrate the uh, Declaration of Independence rather than the uh, resolution for independence. But uh, it is a great day in which we rejoice in the freedoms that we enjoy. A year earlier, in 1775, Patrick Henry had delivered a speech to the Virginia Convention at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, in which he proclaimed those immortal words that probably every American knows, and that is, give me liberty or give me death. And with that, the seeds of the revolution were sown. Today, we want to consider a different proclamation, another proclamation about freedom, but this one coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in John chapter 8. If you're not there in your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's one of those adages that many people know. The truth will make you free. What was Jesus talking about when he proclaimed the freedom that we were going to enjoy through a dedication, <coughs> excuse me, to the truth. What was Jesus offering to his listeners? If Jesus is offering freedom, the assumption is that those to whom he is speaking are presently in bondage. If he's saying it's possible for you to be made free, 
then the presupposition is that presently they're not free. They are in some sense slaves. They are in some sense in bondage. The individuals to whom Jesus is speaking flatly deny the fact that they are in bondage. Look with me at John 8.33. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. We are Abraham's offspring and never yet have been enslaved to anyone. Now, as we think about that statement, it, it raises some interesting perspectives. To what were they referring? If we think about Israel in a nationalistic sense, if we're thinking about them as a nation and as a people, and if what they're saying is, as a nation and as a people, we have never experienced slavery, then it would be the most incredible denial that ever has taken place. Because they've known slavery in a multitude of ways. We all know that they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And they experienced a lot of heartache and, and misery as a result. They were under bondage to Assyria and to Babylon, to Greece, and to Syria. And now, as Jesus speaks to these Jewish people, they are under bondage to Rome. And they are under the, the uh, tyranny of Caesar. So it's odd that they would say that they had never experienced slavery. Secondly, it is peculiar in that the common expectation at the time, the common understanding of what the Messiah would do was to alleviate earthly oppression. They were looking for an earthly deliverer. Most of the Jews were looking for an earthly deliverer who would finally break the back of Rome and give them the freedom that they so richly desired. And so we read the accounts where they wanted to come and make Jesus king and make him ruler over them and lead an insurrection against Rome and grant them the freedom that they so greatly desired. So it's odd when Jesus pronounces to them the opportunity for freedom that they don't jump to the conclusion that he must be offering them freedom from Rome as the Messiah. But they don't go there. But they don't go there. Because he's talking about another kind of freedom. And it seems as though that to some degree they understood that. For notice in the text, in John 8.34, he's talking now about a slavery of one peoples to another, but he's talking about slavery to sin. John 8.34, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. 
But they are going to deny that kind of slavery as well. They're going to say that they are Abraham's offspring. They have been free, not just from nationalistic slavery, which they weren't free from, but that they were free spiritually, that they were free from sin. They were going to, to fail to acknowledge the slavery to sin that they are really in. Before a people want freedom, they need to understand the slavery that they are in. And this morning, it's good for us to reflect upon the enslaving nature of sin, how pervasive it is, how captivating it is, how engrossed in it we can become, and how it can dominate our lives and permeate every single facet of our being. It is healthy for us to acknowledge at times that we find it very difficult to stop sinning. That there are particular sins that we habitually find ourselves confessing and then repenting of, only to find ourselves doing that very same thing again. The very nature of sin is that it is enslaving that it has us under his, its dominion. So Jesus comes and pronounces freedom from sin. Now, what is he talking about when he's talking about freedom from sin? Well, he's talking about two things. First, there is freedom from the institution of slavery. Freedom from the institution of slavery. Uh, for example... Fast forwarding, moving from the Revolutionary War to the American Civil War, we have the Emancipation Proclamation, an executive order issued by President Abraham Lincoln on January the 1st, 1863, during the American Civil War. It proclaimed the freedom of 3.1 million of the nation's 4 million slaves, and it immediately freed 50,000 of them, with the rest of them freed as the Union soldiers advanced. Abraham Lincoln pronounced the slaves to be free. He removed the institution of slavery. All of a sudden, they had a new relationship to their former masters. That is, that now they had the position of being free men and women. Jesus has delivered us from the institution, if you will, of slavery. He has removed that mastery over us. Notice in John chapter 8, starting with verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. There is a basic difference, Jesus is saying, between a household slave and a son. A household slave has no personal residence in the household. He can be bought and sold at will. Notice verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. That slave 
doesn't have freedom to come and go as he or she pleases. But that slave can be bought or sold at any time. But not so with the son. The son, however, has the right to the house. It is his by inheritance, verse 36. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. But if you are associated with the household, if you are a member of the house, then you are really free. You don't have to worry about being bought or sold. You don't have to worry about whether or not you are going to be a part of this house or not. <clears throat> Jesus acknowledges that the Jews to whom he is speaking are indeed the physical descendants of Abraham. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's offspring. Jesus is saying God is his father. Verse 38. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. And then Jesus challenges the Jews as to whether they were actually the true spiritual descendants of Abraham. <coughs> 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. He says, you're not acting like your father, Abraham. He was a spiritual man. You are not. Jesus asserts that they are actually sinning and therefore revealing who their true father really is. Verse 41. You are doing your deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. They assumed, because they were physical descendants of Abraham, that they had a right relationship with God. They understood, it appears, that when Jesus was offering them freedom, that he was offering them spiritual freedom. But they were saying, we don't need that. We've never been slaves to anyone, for we are Abraham's children. Abraham is the son of God. So we are sons of God. Sin has never had its dominion over us. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he that sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He says your true father isn't God. Your true father is the evil one. For you aren't the spiritual descendants of Abraham. You are just merely the physical Descendants of Abraham. You don't do what Abraham did. You don't believe what Abraham believed. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth, this evil one, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar 
and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. He was of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews respond by saying, no, it is you who are the child of the devil. John eight forty eight. The Jews answered said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Thus, Jesus is offering these people a freedom from the dominion and power of sin. Romans 6. Knowing this, that the old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. They ask the question in verse 33. How is it that you say we will be free? Verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Well, the answer is because he is the son and the son will set us free according to this this chapter. But there may be some sinister overtones in that question as well because they're looking at Jesus and Jesus refers to the fact that they are trying to kill him the fact that they're trying to put him to death. And they're saying to him, how can you offer us freedom when you yourself are going to experience death? When you yourself are going to be held captive? When you yourself are going to be uh, put in shackles? When you yourself are going to be crucified on a cross? When you yourself are going to be a captive? How can you offer freedom to someone else? Well, he's offering this spiritual freedom. The freedom of being in God's house forever. John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So one sense in which Jesus offers us freedom this morning is to be a people that move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. A people who are considered to be sons of God, John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the, the sons of God. We have the right, the privilege of eternal life. We can be assured that we are going to be in his house forever and ever. For we are not a slave. We are a son if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are free indeed, never having to worry about being sold, never have to worry about being abandoned, never have to worry about being forsaken. We are assured this morning of our freedom in Jesus Christ, that we are going to be in his presence forever and ever. Then there is a second way in which Jesus offers the freedom of which he is speaking. He's offering us freedom from our sinful nature. Notice John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning 
and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. From his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The mark of true discipleship in this passage is a continuation in God's word. Look at Romans 8, uh, excuse me, John 8, 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. To abide in God's word is to live in God's word. It's to dwell in God's word. It's to meditate upon God's word. And it is to live by God's word, which requires a consistent listening to God's word, an habitual reflection on God's word, a holding fast to God's word, and a carrying out of God's word. And that process of abiding in the word results in coming to know the truth. Notice verse 32. And you shall know the truth. The knowledge that Jesus is speaking of is not only intellectual knowledge, but existential or experiential knowledge as well. In other words, he says, if you abide in my word, you will understand the truth. But more than that, you will experience the truth. You will live out the truth. You are going to be free from the bondage of sin because truth is going to be your emancipator. Truth is going to set you free from that habitual sin that is manifested in our lives. As we give ourselves to the word, all of a sudden, we find that our desires change. And they aren't the desires of the evil one. But now they become the desires of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. The scripture says, against such there is no law. Meaning that it isn't just a matter of our own resolution, our own determination, our own effort. But it is a fruit of having a... a uh, Abide, uh, abode in the word of God. So that Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. As you plant a tree by the water's edge, it is going to just naturally bring forth fruit. As we are planted in the word of God, it's going to bring forth fruit in our lives. We are going to be changed individuals. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're going to be purified by the word of God. So that as we abide in God's word, then we will know the truth intellectually and experientially, and that truth will make us free. Make us free. It is a live life lived under the authority of God's word. As in the Old Testament, the Savior brought deliverance from the land of Egypt in order to bring a people to worship and serve him. So too, in the New Testament, the Savior brings freedom from the bondage of sin in order that we might worship and serve him. In conclusion this morning, I leave you with two simple thoughts. First, 
as we think about our national freedom, it's fragile. Our national freedom is fragile. We have enemies around this globe. And there is no guarantee that years from now we're going to experience the same freedoms that we enjoy today. There's no guarantee that we're not going to be under the dictatorship of a, of a foreign nation. It's fragile when we think about our freedom. Our future is uncertain. We enjoy that freedom today. The freedom that Jesus offers us is not a temporal freedom. It's not fragile. It can't be taken away from us. The evil one cannot snatch us out of God's hand. We have an inheritance inheritance that's eternal, incorruptible, imperishable, reserved in heaven for us. We have been brought into the family of God once and for all, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that freedom from, from Satan's dominion can never, ever be taken away from us. The second thought this morning is that we live in a free nation. And we have the privilege and duty of exercising those freedoms. And there are many oppositions that would want to curb the freedoms that we enjoy, the religious freedoms that we enjoy. There are peoples and agencies at work to try to limit the freedoms that we presently enjoy as a nation. Well, we must exercise our freedoms. We must avail ourselves of our freedoms. And as we've been mentioning this morning, one of the greatest freedoms is the opportunity to gather together publicly, openly, and worship God. It's sad that many people have forfeited that freedom, that people don't take advantage of that. They don't cherish it. They don't see it for the glory that it is. And today they're not gathering together for worship. Well, in like manner, God, the personal Lord Jesus Christ, offers us freedom from sin that curbing aspect of which we now would not be serving God as fully as we ought or should. We're not availing ourselves of the privilege of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the privilege of having the word of God. And thus, we allow sin to influence us more than it should. And we find ourselves under the power of sin more than we ought. It's an incredible freedom that we have in this country, not only to be able to gather to, for worship, but also to have the Word of God. And we have the Word of God in so many ways. It has become so easy for us. You know, we, we, have, we have the Bible. We have, we have the printed Word. We have CDs. We have DVDs. We have... We have cassettes. We have a Bible. I've got an iPod. And I've got a number of translations 
of the Bible on here. And study tools on here. And I can care. I can read it at any time I want. The opportunities that we have to be involved in God's word are just imaginable from what they were just a few decades ago. Do we avail ourselves of that freedom? Do we exercise that freedom? We may shake our heads and lament for those that are failing to gather together today for worship. But do we fail to read the word of God as we ought? Do we fail to exercise that freedom, both nationalistically and spiritually? God has been so good to bless us with so much. Are we struggling with sins simply because we are not giving ourselves the way that we ought to the word of God? The truth will set you free. But it has to start with a willingness to acknowledge the slavery. The willingness to acknowledge that we indeed find ourselves oftentimes, oftentimes dominated by, by sin. And we struggle against it. And we seem to be powerless against it. The truth will set you free. As we give ourselves to the word of God, that word of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will set us free from that bondage to sin in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace and goodness. And Lord, we rejoice in the nationalistic freedoms that we enjoy this, this morning. But we also rejoice in the spiritual freedoms that we enjoy. The freedom that comes through a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. That we have promise of eternal life and being in your presence forever and ever. And the freedom that comes as the word of God is believed and obeyed. The freedom of truth. As truth manifests itself in our lives and conquers those sinful desires. So, Lord, help us today to experience freedom in the fullest sense of that word. May we rejoice in our own personal Independence Day in which we have come to know the Lord Jesus and now living in a new freedom from sin. Thank you for that great blessing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.